Yeah, we were, we were saying a few things about Joe, but I have to tell you, it's been a real pleasure to work with Joe. Uh, I, I worked with Joe um, years ago at Covenant Life Church, and now I'm working with him again, and I just have to say I've got a lot of respect for him, a lot of respect. I'm catching up on uh, how he's grown, and uh, of course we've all grown in the Lord, uh, that's, so that's good. But I'm getting to hear him preach. I never really got to hear him preach very much. I'm really impressed with his sermons. I am very impressed with his sermons. And I'm really impressed with how he loves you guys. I just think, wow, you know, I have a lot to learn about that compared to where he seems to be. I'm very impressed with Joe. So just want to go on the record there after beating him up while he's not here to also say, (laughs) hey, you know, I, I like Joe a lot. We're talking about transformation nowadays here. What we're doing is uh, we're giving one sermon on a subject that seems to be in a lot of our minds, even if we're not aware of it. So just take, for instance, three stories. The Ugly Duckling. Do you know, how many people know the Ugly Duckling story? Yeah, okay. Some of you. And uh, Cinderella. Well, you all know that one, right? And Scrooge. Sure. Now here's, here's three stories. They're each one of them about transformation, if you think about it. And I believe that the reason we're fascinated by stories about transformation is because there's kind of a secret longing we all have for personal transformation. It's, and, and that's the subject that I want to talk about today. That's the big idea. Now, I, I call that the big idea, and I have it underlined there, in case any of you want to use these uh, notes. Some people like to take notes, and so I have these fill-in-the-blank exercises here so that you feel like you're back in fifth grade. <laughs> All right, so you can fill in that blank there. God's goal for you is personal transformation. That's the theme that we're going to be zeroing in on. But now if you think about it, the ugly duckling story and the Cinderella story are a little different than the Scrooge in a significant way. See, the ugly duckling story is about this, um, somehow this goose egg, no, swan egg, a swan's egg ends up in the nest of a duck with the other eggs. And so they all hatch, and then this baby swan grows up with the other ducklings, and he doesn't fit in. He's awkward, he's big-boned and gangly, you know, gawky. But then he grows up to be a magnificent, beautiful swan. Yeah, that's the story. Okay. And then there's Cinderella, similar. You know, marginalized by her stepsisters, her mean stepsisters, reduced to scullery maid. You know, she's got elephant the elbows and red hands from working all the time. And... Uh, you know, and she's transformed into this beautiful princess. Okay, right. What's different here? What's different with Scrooge, right? Think about it. Scrooge does not want to be transformed. Scrooge thinks he's fine the way he is. And so the fates, whoever's in charge, have to send him three ghosts to get his attention and they do they're able to do that he needed a major shakeup to see the way he is but when he did get that major shakeup to see the way he is then it dawned on him that he does need to be transformed 
It's an interesting idea, isn't it, when you think about it? And literature, by the way, is filled with these themes because this is who we are. We all have a, a kind of a secret longing for transformation. And that's my first point here. We all have a secret longing. I say secret. It's really secret in a couple of ways. One way it's a secret longing is we don't want people to know about it. We want people to think we're just fine the way we are. And so we, we don't, want, don't want people to know that I know that I need to be changed in some ways. But the other way it's secret is a lot of times it's secret from, it's kept from us. We don't see it. We're not aware of it. There are people who say, yeah, I'm fine the way I am. I don't need to change. What are you saying? What are you trying to tell me? See? If you're honest with yourself, you know that there is a desire sort of deep inside for transformation, and yet there's that other desire which says, no, 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 I'm fine the way I am. I'm not going to answer to anybody else. Let me give you two examples of this from the New Testament. I think these are, well, from, one's from the New Testament, one's from the Old. I think these are great examples. These are popular stories. You probably know them if you've come to church at any time in your life. You may have heard these. The first one is from John 4. This is the woman at the well. And Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, because they're at a well, and he, and he wanted a drink of water. And then he says, but whoever drinks of the water I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Now what's going on here is he's engaging her in this conversation. And slowly but surely, she's revealing more and more about herself to Jesus. But as she reveals more and more about herself to Jesus, she begins to see more and more about how she needs to be transformed and how Jesus is the one to do that. It comes out in the course of the conversation she, that she's had five husbands. She's been avoiding it. She wants to talk about theology. She says, well, you know, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem, and we Samaritan, you know, and she's trying to get him off the track. But he keeps bringing it back around, and finally, finally she says, well, I have no husband, when Jesus says, go get him. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And so he's able to break through that resistance. Because I'm telling you, the longing we have for transformation is a secret longing. You know, we're trying to keep a secret from others, but we also a lot of times keep it secret from ourselves. We're not aware of, the, of our own deep needs that we have. I think that's a great example. And then there's another example, the example of David. He's a king at this point in his life. Now, now keep in mind who David is here. This isn't some wimpy guy. This is a guy who would be involved in what we today would call special ops. He, he was an expert warrior in hand-to-hand -hand combat. They didn't have any other kind. And he rises to become king. He unites a nation. He has many wives. And then he decides he wants one more. And that's when he sees Bathsheba on the rooftop taking a bath. And he says to himself, ah, invite her over. And her husband's out of town. 
He's a warrior too. And after he gets her pregnant, he figures out there's no other way to get out of this tough situation than to send her husband to the front lines where the fighting is the fierce and hopefully he'll get killed by accident. It happens. It happens. It's war. It's just an accident. Sure enough. And David, the, the man that God called the man after his own heart, the apple of his eye, David is oblivious to his sin. It takes Nathan the prophet to confront him for David to realize and confess and to get down off his high horse and to acknowledge that he did this terrible thing. And then he writes this poem. You find it in the book of Psalms. You've heard this before. Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, he, he, he realizes his need for transformation. Now, it's not uncommon for any of us to have no desire for transformation. Like I said before, uh, a very, very natural stance is to say, I'm just fine the way I am. You're the one with the problem, right? <laughs> That's the way we tend to go through life. I want to show you a diagram of, of these two guys here. There's a guy on the left. I draw this on a board, but we don't have one, so I have to make slides here. You got the guy on the left here, and this guy on the left is smug. So he's a little cocky. He's a little arrogant. He is self-satisfied. He's the guy who says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm doing fine, thank you. See. Who do you suppose the guy on the right is? Now, here's a guy who thinks he's a failure, the guy on the right. See? He thinks he's in the pits. I'm worthless. I keep messing up. I'm no good. You look at these two guys, and you think they're opposites. But actually, they have a major feature in common. Both of them are standing on their pride. The one guy is proud of who he is, and he thinks there's nothing wrong. The other guy is proud of who he's not. He says, I should be better. And so he's depressed. It's the same pride at work in both of these people. The failure's pride is saying to him, why aren't you any better than you are? You're just a worm. You keep failing. People don't like you. You don't measure up. This is an internal motivation, this pride. But that's not all the story. There's an external motivation too, and I call that the merit system. This is what makes the world go round. You've heard love makes the world go round? Uh-uh. The merit system makes the world go round. It starts with being a little kid and obeying or disobeying. It shows up in school, whether you get good grades or bad grades, whether you graduate, whether you go on, whether you get a degree. It shows up when you start dating people. Are you good enough for this person? Does that person think I'm good enough for them? It's all this comparisons, constant comparisons. It's how you get a job. It's how you get status and recognition. Too often it's how you get love. 
And it's these two forces, the internal force of pride and the external force of the merit system that we live with day in and day out. And it seems so normal. We think it's just the way things are. What's wrong with that? And so if somebody came along with the gospel, you wouldn't recognize it. Because this is what you think is reality. And that's how we go through life. This is, this is why it takes three ghosts to get Scrooge's attention. Because, <laughs> you see, he's in denial. So happens he thinks he's great. But you can see how there are people who are stuck with their failure. There are plenty of people who say, oh, I'm just I'm never going to amount to anything. I give up. Now, if you're honest with yourself, probably the vast majority of you are neither one or the other. You vacillate, right? Back and forth. Some days you feel like, I've got to stand up and show them who I am. I'll fix them. I'll, I'll tell them who I am. I'll show them. And then other days you go, oh, what's the use? I wish I was dead. I didn't ask to be born. And you back and forth, people go in their lives between these two. Friends, this is no way to live. That's why Jesus came into this world to tell us this. Maybe, maybe you're aware of this dynamic in your life. Maybe you're not aware of it. It's okay. If you're not aware of this kind of longing for getting out of this and being transformed, that's all right. It's still a secret to you. But you can always say to God, God, open my eyes so I can see the way things are. Show me how to get out of this rut of success and failure and pride. And and help me understand what it is and and recognize what it is. And help me to define what this is and how this is working in my life. You can can ask God for that. You, You can make it go beyond just a secret. And that's... Because God's goal for you is personal transformation. That's our big idea. God's goal for you is personal transformation. Now let's take a look at the second point. The evidence of transformation is from the heart. It's more of an inward reality than external behavior. And that's because external behavior can be faked. But what flows from the heart shows where a person really is. And that's why ultimately this is between you and God and not between you and everybody else. Because the evidence, and, and, and while it's true, there is external evidence, ultimately that's not the test. The test for the evidence is what's in your heart and see only God can see that and know that and hopefully he can show you too because this is how transformation really takes place from the heart look how Jesus says this in John 7 he stands up and he cries out there's people everywhere they're in the temple area he says if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink He's addressing the longing. And if you don't know you're thirsty, then you don't have the longing. But for those who do have the thirst, then they do have the longing. Jesus is saying, come to me. I've got the solution that you're looking for. 
See, this, this is not a message for hardened, cynical hypocrites. This is a message for people who have some degree of humility enough to recognize their need. Another way that Jesus put it was, look, you don't go to a doctor if, if you're not sick. You don't need a doctor if you're not sick. And then the Pharisee said, what are you saying? We need a doctor. He goes, no, 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 you're perfectly fine. <laughs> see, they can't see it. They, there's, no, there's nothing in their mind that has any room for personal transformation. They're just fine the way they are. Thank you very much. Now, people who are ready to step down off the pride and get out from under the merit system and find some respite from all of this labor and frustration in life, they're ready to hear the words of Jesus when he says these things. Remember where we were? Here you see somebody who has stepped down out from under the system, off of his pride. He's now out of there. He's not cooperating with his ego, and he's not cooperating with the merit system, the two forces that drive everything. And instead, he's not, now don't get me wrong here, he's not saying, there, I'm free now. Because if he could just do that, that would be personal transformation. But you can't do personal transformation. That's the message of the gospel. The gospel starts with the bad news. You can't transform yourself, but you can be transformed. And that's by the merit of Christ. That's what he came to do. To give you a new heart. To give you living water in, within to get you out of this rut, of this, this endless cycle going between uh, I, I'm, I'm no good and I'm wonderful. And just forgetting that. Leave it behind. Live a different way. Live by the merit of Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the creator of the universe, of all the galaxies, of everything, loved you? Wouldn't that be something? Why do you want your approval to come from everybody else in this world? Why do you want to show everybody else in this world how great you are when you have a God who loves you, a great big God? The Lord Jesus himself. And so when you say, well, I'm going to accept the merit of Christ instead of try to earn my merit by looking good and doing those kinds of things, that's how transformation takes place. And this isn't, the, isn't this what the transformation that you see in David, too, when he says, create in me a clean heart, O God? See, he gives up. He says, I'm a mess. Here I am, a spiritual leader of the people of God, and I have a man killed and commit adultery with his wife. He knows he needs personal transformation. Now you might say, you know what, I don't want Christ's merit. And believe it or not, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who say, I want to earn this on my own. I don't want God to love me because Jesus died on the cross. I want God to love me because I'm so lovable. And I want everybody else to love me because I'm so lovable too. I want to prove to everybody that I'm really worth something. See, that's, that's living on the left side of the screen, folks. 
Be aware of that. And you say, but isn't it good to have self-esteem? Oh, yes. See, this guy's esteem is coming from Christ, for what Christ did for him, for God's love. He doesn't have to look anywhere else for his esteem. He knows he's loved by the creator of the universe. You know, many years ago, um, I was at a church, and uh, there was a woman who started attending the church, and uh, she became a Christian. And it was like she didn't even know it at first. But she, she believed everything, and she hadn't before. And it was slowly dawned on her that, you know, wow, I mean, my life has changed. She was telling me this. Several times she said, I, I don't understand it. It's like, I'm happy. I, I know God loves me. And, and she was going through all of this. And finally, one day I said to her, you know what that is, don't you? And she said, no, what's that? I said, that's the Holy Spirit in you. He's transforming you. He's making all things new inside of you. And about a year and a half later, I married her. <laughs> yeah, that's my wife, Debbie. Where are you, Debbie? Hey. Have you ever met my wife, Debbie, back there somewhere? See, if you're not aware of the longing, she was looking for something. And she, and she just showed up at church one day because, well, you might as well look there too. And there she found it. See, you, you have a, a secret longing. But the evidence of this is a transformation that takes place inside because God does something for you here. That's the big idea in this sermon. That God's goal for you is personal transformation. Now, now don't think that you get this personal transformation by trying harder. See, that's just going back to the merit system. It's, it's a kind of an art to, you know, to be able to execute this. You have to be counterintuitive in a way. See, transformation really comes with surrender. Not with the desire. The desire is just the desire. Surrender is what enables personal transformation. Many people have tried to transform themselves. Some have worked very hard at it. I know a lot of people who've been far more successful at transforming themselves than I would ever be. I could never do some of the personal transformations that you've seen in people's lives. I, couldn't, I, I, I admire them. But that's not the same thing as God's transformation. It's not necessarily the transformation that comes from the Lord. Let me ask you this. Do you know any Christians, or people that call themselves Christians at least, who are arrogant or self-righteous or they think they're better than other people? Or, you know, are always trying to tell people that they need to accept Christ as Lord. And they're always pushing the finger in the other person's chest and saying, you need to accept Christ as Lord. You and, and, and they're just sort of obnoxious about it. Do you know any people like that? Let me, 
Let me share you. See, this is a problem that all us Christians face. We could very easily drift into that, very easily. So I want to share with you how this works. So here's this guy, right? He's decided to get out from under the old merit system. He's living in Christ's merit system. But then he feels the temptation again. His pride is calling him. He used to be he was proud of who he is. Now he's proud he's a Christian. <laughs> and the furthermore, he's proud he's a Christian and you're not. See? And so it's like stepping right back up onto the same pedestal of pride. And now instead of Christ's merit, he's invented his own Christian merit system. He does everything the right way. He goes to the right church. He reads the right translation of the right Bible. He makes sure that his kids don't do this and his kids don't do that. He makes sure that he gives more money to church than you do so that he can feel self-righteous. Friends, you don't want to be in any one of these. This, th these people are always comparing themselves to everybody else. Do you go through life comparing yourself constantly with everybody else, evaluating them, thinking, what do they think of me? Trying to measure up to what they want. You're caught in this, in this horrible place. Personal transformation frees you from all of this. Look, look at how David says it uh, here in the rest of Psalm 51. We, I read to you the first verse. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. I mean, this is remarkable. Listen to this. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is the Old Testament. I find it amazing that he, that he knows there's this relationship between God's Holy Spirit and his own heart. And you see, it's not a simple matter of saying, well, I'm going to stop being bad. It doesn't work that way. You've got to replace it with something good. That's why you need God's Spirit. That's how the transformation takes place, right? You can't just say, well, I'm going to stop being bad. No. You've got to put something in its place. That's where Christ comes in here. And that's what you see in these words. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know? Here's, here's a guy who knows about salvation. Oh, I'm salvation. Yeah. So we're Christians here. We're all saved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, hum. No. What about the joy? What about a willing spirit? What about excitement? For who God is and what he's doing in this world. You find the same idea in Ezekiel. Another Old Testament passage. Look at these words. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. What is a heart of stone? It's a stubborn heart. It's a cold heart. It's a dead heart. It's a heart that says, I don't need transformation. You've got to bow down before the God of history. That's what this is all about. You need to be soft. You need to be tender. How's that, how's that going to happen? You can't do it on your own. You have to yield. You have to surrender. 
That's how it happens. You surrender to what God's doing instead of your, you know, trying to make it all about your own agenda, trying to make it all about you. That's what you need to be committed to. You need to be committed to surrendering, to, to choose to stop measuring yourself constantly. See, that's the goal here, God's goal for you. Personal transformation. Now, choose to let God transform you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that there's so many clear words in Scripture about this. Can't say I would have ever known it if I hadn't studied a little bit. To see all the ways that you are soliciting our, our praise and our discipleship. And so we pray that we will have tender hearts and that you will operate on them and make us human again. Make us alive. Give us beating hearts that respond to your own Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name.